Thank you. How is the 10 a.m. doing? We've been getting strapped in. I'm preaching this week and next week. So you got me back to back. So just get comfortable. We're going to enjoy it. Uh, We're jumping into part two of the Our Truth Hurts series and wrapping up today, kicking off something new and exciting next week. Um, But as we do, uh, I'll draw your attention just to kind of land you in where we are. Week, you would notice from the graphic that there's a little bit of a hint to what James had focused in on um, last week, and that was this idea that is so prevalent in our world, the idea of my truth, that somehow truth has become relative, subjective to our internal world, not to external realities. And uh, it's led us down a road where our world says there's no such thing as absolute truth. And that butts up right against the word of God that is an absolute truth, God revealing as our creator to us, his creation, just about who he is, about who we are, about the world we find ourselves in, and the reality of truth that is not internal to me and you, but rather external to God. And what we saw last week is that the world has sold us this lie, that actually when we live out our truth, this relative truth, we will be more free. But what you actually find as you go into scripture and what God has to say is that that truth actually enslaves us to chaos and contradiction. Because the truth that we find in the absolute word of God, that's what we believe it is, is that the truth is actually not located within us. The truth is located in a person and his name is Jesus. And so he as creator is able to define this is right and wrong. This is what is true and this is what is untrue. It's external to us. And it butts up against our human nature, our human desires, our human ways, our human uh, philosophies. And it actually calls each one of us to make a call, to take a stand. Do we believe it or do we reject it? And I love this moment in, in the Gospels as Jesus is literally getting put on trial and will be falsely accused and then put to death. He comes before Pontius Pilate, a Roman pagan ruler. And this is the exchange that happens in John chapter 18. It says in verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. There's a lot said about Jesus. There's a lot that uh, the world believes. There is a lot that has been taught about him that was prophesied in his coming in scripture, out of scripture, throughout all of human history. I think we should pay attention to what Jesus said about himself and the purpose for him coming into human history, putting on flesh for us. Because when he was asked that question, this is the answer he gave. To bear witness to the truth. Could have said anything. I came to die. I came to call people to repentance. I came to be a sacrifice for all of humanity's sin. But in this moment, he says, I came to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then we see the reaction of Pilate. And isn't it the reaction that is within our own hearts and right across all humanity into our modern day? Pilate answered him and said, what is truth? In the face of absolute truth from creator God, as humanity, we look at that and we, and we put in our own subjectivity, our own relativity, and we question it. We throw doubt and say, well, what is truth? That's where we find ourselves in. We have this battle that rages between my truth and God's truth, between what is relative and what is absolute, by what is subjective and what is objective, what is internal, but actually what is externally set by God. And that's where we find ourselves. 
Jesus will actually declare that he is the truth. And last week we saw, there's a key verse, famous verse in scripture. Jesus says, the truth shall set you free. And so in Jesus only can we find true freedom for our hearts, souls, and minds. This week, I wanna talk about uh, almost the moment in between. Because the truth is there, it's Jesus, and he is the truth that sets us free even into eternity. But there is a moment where we, might, we have to be honest with ourselves. When the truth hits you and me in the face, it's often hard. It often hurts because it puts in reality the state of being at that time. And sometimes it's very difficult to, and, and actually we have this offense that grows within us when we hear the truth told straight to us. It's that moment where you look at the scale and the number tells you the truth about something and the reality of what's going on. But what we can't ever miss is that the reality of that will always be helpful in changing our path so that we progress towards growth and flourishment, not damage and destruction. And that's really where we're going to camp this week. We're really going to look at how do, we, how do we do this as we are met by truth that sometimes can hurt for a moment. Um, have you ever made a person? I ask that question that way because it's going to get your attention. I've made two people. Um, they're little now. They are three and two. Uh, Three-year-olds, nearly four, will be in September. And you'll know if you've got little ones, if you've ever been a parent and you've made people, half the time is uh, the usual things, feeding them, watering them, making sure they don't die. But the other half, when you have little people, is basically them roasting you. Because they, in their innocence, because trust me, okay, I say innocence, we know they're sinners because they started to learn that they can manipulate truth to get sweets and things that serve them. But there is also still an innocence there where they realize they don't have a filter yet to filter truth. And so they're very quick with their words. And sometimes the truth in their words can hurt so deep. And as us as parents often are the ones that take the biggest brunt of it. And so I've not been immune to the hurt of my three-year-old as she's spewed out truth from her very little mouth that is dependent on me for her existence. <laughs> now, I love being a dad. I have fully embraced dad life. I have even embraced the fact that I have a dad bod. It's, uh, it's there, it's strong. But that doesn't stop my three-year-old Lilybeth telling me things like, yo, dad, your tummy is so big. <laughs> it hurts. Nikita, my wife, she is not immune to it. She's also been told the truth many, many times over from our three-year-old, mommy, you are not my best friend, daddy is my best friend. <laughs> it is a truth and it hurts. My mom actually was visiting from the UK, they immigrated there last year. She's actually in Amsterdam's airport watching this right now, hi mom. Um, and she came to visit her grandchildren, spend time with them. You would think she would be immune from the savagery that a three-year-old can bring. She wasn't. Because Beth a couple of weeks ago had her very first haircut. I don't like the haircut. You might see her later and just don't tell her I said this. Can we just keep it between us? I don't like her haircut because I keep telling everyone it looks like she's like supposed to be on Downton Abbey. Um, it's hilarious. Anyway, that's a sidebar. I don't know where that came from. Um, but she had just got a haircut. Everyone's making a big deal. It's her first haircut ever. It's, I don't know why they do these things, but they like cut the hair and then put it in a certificate and give it to you. It's so weird. Like, let's be honest. There's some things that are weird in the world and need to stop. That needs to stop. Like it's an already exorbitant price for a kid's haircut. I don't need the certificate, just make it cheaper. Just rather don't do this weird thing. 
Um, but in the midst of that haircut, my mom got a haircut while she was here and obviously wanted to, you know, build some rapport with her granddaughter and said, oh, my love, did you see Nana also got a haircut? Does it look pretty? Um, Lady Beth looked her dead in the eye and said, no. <laughs> she said it would look pretty if you put it in a pony. And so sometimes the truth can hurt, even when it comes from a three-year-old who, again, quite literally relies on us for her existence. But I think in these moments where we do understand, we get it conceptually, that sometimes we need the truth to smack us in the face, to give us reality, because it actually will set us on a path that is far better for the future. We know that moment. But I think that way of truth and how we relate to that truth is so important. And I think there's some helpful questions we can ask. And Jesus is going to reveal all of the answers to these questions. I think we need to ask, how does truth come to us? Look at the delivery method, because that matters. I think we need to ask the question, well, what do we have to make of that truth? Because again, you can hear it, but do you truly understand it? Will it truly take root within our hearts? And then the last thing is, well, then how do we respond? Because the only truth that really matters is the truth that gets played out in real life. There's a lot of things that in our world that can be ethereal. But actually, when it's practical, that's when it's going to matter. And so we're going to take a look at a very famous verse, another, um, another thing that Jesus said about himself in, con in concerning him as being the truth. But this is what happens in John chapter 14, and we'll launch into it. In verse 4, it says, Jesus saying, And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where, we are, where you are going. How can we know the way? If you want to be a follower of Jesus, understand he has a way, and we follow that way. It's a good question to ask. And then Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to look at this because I think it's so helpful in us understanding the way of truth and the journey of truth and how Jesus has revealed it and laid it out for us. Because if we walk this journey, I think we're gonna see the power of his truth in changing our lives and even changing our eternities. So we're gonna look at it under these three big headings, the way, the truth, and the life. First one, looking at the way. This is where we focus in on the delivery method. Actually saying, hey, if Jesus is the one that delivers, us to, that delivers truth to us, that matters. Now, I want to draw our attention in the way to the divine order that we actually see within this verse. I heard a preacher speak on this, and uh, I wanted to fact-check because I, I wasn't quite sure. But basically, the point was being made that it is not just these three things that are being revealed by Jesus as true, but that even the order of them is divine and revealing something to us. So it actually matters that Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'm the life, I'm the truth, I'm the way. It also matters that he's saying, I am the way before I'm the truth, and I am the truth before I am the life. All three things true, but the divine order is there. We can't miss that that's going to tell us something, that's going to teach us something. And so I went on a big research journey. And if you actually look, even in the translation from the Old Testament, uh, Old OG, New Testament Greek, through uh, all translation periods, transliterations, even into modern language, modern translations, modern vernacular, you will find a consistency through that whole process in the order and the order being divine. You can go look at the most liberal theologian and the most conservative theologian, and they all agree that the order is divine. It's one of these few things we won't argue and fight over. And so it really does matter that we see the divine revelation of the order because it's going to matter. I'll take you to the scene. Jesus is on a beach 
and he's calling his first disciples. If you want to see the order played out, see it played out in what Jesus did. Because in the moment that he will call his first disciples, where he actually will, will, will set them on what will be a three-year ministry uh, that literally changes all of human history, his first command to them, his first call to them is, follow me. Notice he doesn't say, hey, let me tell you about me. Maybe you need to study me. Maybe you need to figure me out. He says, follow me. He actually says, hey, I want you to watch my way. Watch my walk. And on the way, I'll reveal the truth of who I am to you. And it's funny, we, uh, we often do poke fun at the disciples, at how they get it wrong in so many different places. But in this portion of scripture, on that beach, as Jesus was calling them, they get their focus right. Because how many of us would have Jesus ask us the question or tell us, hey, follow me, and we begin to say stupid things like, where? Why? Who are you? Their focus was, hey, you know what? It's not about the where. It's not about the why. I'm just following a who. You say, follow me, I'm going to do it. And Jesus actually knows that how he's wired us, how he has made us up, that order matters. Because for real change to come out, for truth to really play out in our actions, to, for truth to really play out in how we walk, it can never just be about our opinions or beliefs or our head knowledge. It's actually for it to get deep in us. We have to actually see it played out first before our eyes, before it can be explained, before it actually can be declared to us. And so Jesus will go on a journey where he says, hey, will you walk with me? Will you see how I do things? And then on top of that, I will inform you in the ways of truth so that you didn't just see it, but now you get to hear it with some context. And then watch what's, what life it will bring, because that's the goal, that's the purpose, that's where he's taking us. Jesus will actually tell us in John chapter 10, verse 10, about the life that he brings, because I think we sometimes uh, really minimize the life that he brings. When he says in John 10, 10, I bring life and life to the full. The life Jesus is talking about is not just simply an aliveness. The life he brings is a wholeness. It's complete fulfillment. It is flourishing of the human heart now and into eternity. And so the stakes are very high when you're dealing with that light. When you're dealing with that kind of life that he brings in its abundance. And so what Jesus is wanting us to know is that our relationship to truth has got so messed up because we have dumbed it down to simply being a matter of opinion or belief or what we know in our heads. When actually, when it gets played out, we have to see it first. We have to experience it first. We actually have to encounter truth far before it even needs to get explained to us. I think we've missed it in our journey and our relationship to truth because we know that everyone is seeking an abundant life. Everyone is seeking a life that is full of fulfillment and flourishing and blessing. But what Jesus is saying, hey, if you miss the order, if you get caught up in the truth being this ethereal thing of opinion and belief and head knowledge, you're gonna miss the journey of the way, the truth and the life. And so if you make it about your truth first, then understand you will not just short circuit the process, you're gonna shortcut the destination. It's so important that we don't miss the order, that he starts with giving us the way, he being the way, the delivery method to offer truth to us. He then jumps into uh, the, the truth, our big second heading. 
Because now Jesus is actually going to reveal and declare truth to us. But he's also going to be the one that deciphers truth for us. Because it's, it's so easy to see something, to experience something, to hear something, and not fully understand the depth of it all. And so Jesus is the one who's going to look his disciples in the eye, who's going to look the people uh, in the midst of John's gospel in the eye, and will reveal truth to them. And it's a truth that's going to hurt and be uncomfortable and probably offend them in their hearts because they've gone their own way. But his heart for them is that they would have life because he knows, hey, if you go that way on your own, it leads to damage and destruction. So understand my heart for you is let's be uncomfortable in the temporary because in eternity, this goes somewhere else. And so I really do encourage each one of us, and I'll probably challenge you and ask you this question. Do you have that type of a person who can look you in the eye and tell you the truth about the circumstance, situation, actions, thoughts, um, and, and motivations of your heart in a situation? Especially if you're a guy, I can tell you I value those relationships so strong. Because you need to have that relationship with someone who can look you in the eye and tell you, hey, I, I think you're messing this one up. I think you've missed something here. I think you've caused damage here. You know what, let's, let's walk that out. Let, let's, let's shift and change our path here. Let's, let's take a moment where it might be offensive to hear. But you know what, I love you so much, care for you so much. I'm so focused on your future flourishing that I'm willing to walk out the awkwardness in the temporary, the offense in the temporary, because I know the change in direction will bring us to a different destination. It's so important. So we're going to dive into John chapter 12. And it's a, it's a moment where Jesus actually will, um, will go into a parable that shares this type of a truth with the disciples and people in Jerusalem. And uh, to give you some context, Jesus' ministry has basically exploded. It is at the peak, the climax, everything has got, he is, do, he is teaching, he's doing miracles. There are crowds upon crowds upon crowds everywhere they go, gathering to hear this guy speak. And so the experience for the disciples is an amazing one. Because their teacher, their rabbi, the one they're following is the guy. And so the big headline for them is big things are happening. We're on the way up. He's on the way up and we get to ride the coattails a little bit. And in the midst of that, the next day will kick in and he'll actually, um, he'll get ready to enter Jerusalem. But in the midst of this entry, in the midst of what the truth that he has to share and reveal, it's going to do two things. The truth Jesus reveals is going to reveal the state within, and then Jesus is going to reveal a difficult way out. Firstly, it's going to reveal the state within. It's actually going to reveal the damage within the human heart. Jesus at this time had just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Can I tell you? You don't get much bigger than raising someone from death to life. Celebrity status goes through the roof. Everyone is talking about it. If it happened today in the era of clickbait, this thing would go viral. It would be off the charts. And the very next day after they've celebrated with Lazarus, who is now alive in a banquet, Jesus will actually turn his attention and his direction back to Jerusalem because he knows what is coming, the cross. And he has this moment the next day where he will enter Jerusalem. It basically starts our Easter week. And so you probably have heard it somewhere in an Easter preach. 
But in verse 12 of John chapter 12, this is what happens. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they, had, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus is going to reveal the damage within, and he's going to reveal it in two groups of people. The first is the people of Jerusalem. Because in this moment, they knew the Messiah was promised. He had been prophesied through the Old Testament and all of Israel's history. They knew he would come. And there's no doubt that the people were acknowledging and worshiping Jesus as this coming Messiah and King. Because they very specifically follow what is called for in Scripture. They grab palm trees. They give him a kingly entry. They cry out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Declare him King. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were very well aware that they were calling out that he is Messiah, he is king, he is the one that will bring God's kingdom on earth for us again. And I just wonder what was going on in Jesus' mind when he knew these people who were now declaring him king and Messiah now, in a week's time, would actually be handing him over to be crucified. I think the damage within was very clear. Because they had grabbed a hold of the truth of God and they had mixed in their own truth for their own selfish desire. Because the truth was the Messiah was coming. The king was promised and he will establish his kingdom. But they enter their own truth into the equation with a selfish desire behind it. Because they say, well, he will establish the kingdom as a king like we would know. And Jesus wants to come and say, actually, that's not how I'm going to roll. Because for you, it's about power and status. For you, it's actually about being led out into freedom that you have put in the temporary, whereas I'm about freedom that's in eternity. He changes the narrative and says, actually, you've entered into some false truth, even in the midst of the truth about me. He then actually turns his focus to the other group of damaged people, his own disciples. In verse 20, some Greeks actually will seek out Jesus. Gentiles, they were not Jewish. Verse 20 says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus is going to highlight in this moment the damage that we find within the hearts of the disciples. And if you've been tracking with us through the year in the book of Acts, you'll know this already. They had taken a truth and put their own truth on top of it. And the truth was that Jesus had come to bring salvation. But the truth they placed on it was a limitation and a boundary that said, it is salvation only for us. It is salvation only for the Jewish people. And so when Greeks come, Gentiles come, those who they had grown up as being the enemy, those who we avoid, those who we don't talk about, you can see why there's the awkward moment where actually Philip gets approached and doesn't know what to do because he's like, mine's exploding in his Jewish upbringing. I shouldn't be even talking to you. And so he goes to Andrew, who's a bit older, and says, this is the situation. What do we do? Andrew goes, cool, well, let's go together because that's better than me going alone. Let's go tell Jesus. And Jesus is going to highlight this racial bias that existed within the disciples. And he's going to highlight, hey, I've got a truth that's going to hurt you too. 
Because the truth is, I didn't just come for you, I came for everyone. You're again thinking about what you get out of this, not what my kingdom gets out of this. And so he'll even correct them in this. He says in verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And then in verse, uh, verse 32, he very specifically goes after the damage in his disciples. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That one was gonna sting in the awkwardness of can these Greeks even come and talk to Jesus? These Greeks who were saying, hey, we wanna know is Jesus for us too? He corrects them and says, hey, I came to bring freedom, I came to bring life, and I came to bring it to war. Now, in this moment where Jesus will answer and declare that now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, don't get it wrong. Both of these damaged groups would have been cheering that moment on. Because for them, the glory of the Son of Man, the glory of the Messiah was good because they then get something out of it. We know that this heart carries on because they wanted to see the kingdom established. The problem was they wanted to see it established in their own way, by their own desires, through their own lens, in the ways that they wanted, not in the way that Jesus wanted. If you do this, it's great, Lord, but do it my way. Do it with my truth because I want this to be a part of my life. Hey, you know what? If you've got glory, great, because then some of it will overflow to us. It even continues, even in the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter one, verse six, the disciples will actually ask, because they say, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? There was still this thing, even in the book of Acts, even post death, burial, resurrection, even post it, there was something within them that they weren't quite getting, that Jesus establishes a kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that is far deeper in eternity than in the temporary of their situation. They all wanted to be delivered from their Roman oppressors of the time. And Jesus said, I want you to know I've got bigger things. There are bigger enemies on the horizon. Things like the own sin that lives within you, that separates you in eternity from me. The disciples in this moment where they hear Jesus say, hey, it's now time to be glorified, they would have been like, finally, Now it is the time. It's power and riches and glory. And if we're with him, that means it's for us too. And Jesus wants to highlight the the falseness that they had bought into. Because they're ready for the king that's gonna overthrow, the king that is made in the, the image that they had in their head throughout their history, that he would come as a conquering king, that he would be the one who overthrows pagan armies. And yet he says, hey, you're dealing in temporary things. I'm dealing in eternal things. Jesus brings them the truth and it hurts. He says, I'm not gonna come in the mold that you're expecting or desiring because you're not actually declaring me as Lord. You're actually just saying, hey, you're the best investment where I can get a return to my selfish desires. He says, hey, actually your hearts are damaged because they're not choosing me for being the Messiah and King. They're choosing me because what you believe you can get out of it. He's saying, understand the freedom I bring, the life I bring is far bigger than what you are thinking. Because you're all about your glory and not mine. Because in my glory, what you will find is my way, my truth, and my life. And that means that some of us 
are going to have to let something die, something be sacrificed. And so Jesus will reveal the difficulty, as, as he reveals the damage and that, that damaged state that the human heart is in, he gives us the picture of what it means to walk out of that space, to walk out of that place. And as he reveals the difficult way out, he'll share this parable. It's probably one of the only parables, one of the few that are in uh, John's gospel. But in verse 24, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He explains further, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it in eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus declares this is a time for the glory of the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Messiah to be glorified. All the people would have cheered. We're all about that. But he's going to hit them in, and really hit them hard with this truth, that yes, glory will come, but there is something that will come first, and you're not going to like it because it's a cross, because it's actually my sacrifice for you. And so he'll share this parable. And this is the parable where he's trying to declare kingdom truth, eternal truth to them by using very, very earthly means. And so he gets a, the, the, the picture of a grain of wheat. And he says, for a grain of wheat to serve its purpose, that which, which, that which it was designed for, to grow, to bear fruit, it actually can't be left on a shelf. Otherwise, nothing will happen. It will be alone. It actually needs to be planted in the ground so that in the dirt it can be destroyed so that its purpose can be fulfilled. A wheat plant can grow and you get a head of wheat that now doesn't just have one kernel, it can have up to 50. And he says, hey, if, if the goal is salvation, if that is the fruit of the glory that God has planned in my coming, I want you to know I'm the wheat that must die first. And so the kingdom truth he's trying to, he's trying to uh, explain is that glory will come, but glory is always preceded by sacrifice. That actually for God's glory and his kingdom and his way and his truth and his will to be seen, it actually means in self something needs to die. Something needs to be sacrificed. And the picture I want us to get is that each of us will hold our way and our truth, our desires, even that sinful nature that we hold that actually leans us toward picking created things over creator. And we hold it as that seed of wheat, that one single grain. And the challenge to all of us is Jesus says, hey, look at the picture of me and what I did. I gave myself away to be sacrificed to die so that you could have the fruit of salvation. And then he says, hey, remember those who serve me, those who choose my way will go the same way as me. And so it means when we hold these things that sometimes we hold to so tightly and so dear, thinking they're gonna give us freedom. He says, would you trust me? Would you believe me? Would you hear what I say? Would you see what I have done? Would you sacrifice that thing? Would you let that thing die? Because it's only in that that we can sacrifice our way, that we can sacrifice our truth in light of him being the way, the truth, and that's how we get to live out his life for us.
in glory in his kingdom because that's actually what we were designed to do. That actually was the purpose that he made as he put you and me together. Something needs to die. The way we go about it is surrendering and following him. Just as he said to his disciples on a beach, follow me, would we surrender and follow? That's the way. But also, would we understand that sacrifice is always going to come before glory? And so something of self is going to have to die. That's the truth. It leads us to the last heading, the life. If we follow that journey, if this is how we relate to truth, even when it hurts and is uncomfortable and offends us to our very core, we get the life that Jesus determines. And it looks very different to where we think it does because it actually is the life that's set up with his purpose in full, complete wholeness, fulfillment, and flourishing for our souls. This is what he says in verse 32. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? The crowd is going to question here, hey, we've heard from scripture, from the Old Testament, from the law, that the Christ will remain forever. The Messiah King will remain forever. How could you say he's being lifted up and must die? Who is the son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. The truth may hurt that the son of man needs to die. And if we want to serve him, we have to follow the same way where we're going to die to self so that we can live for him. But I don't want us to miss that that might be a truth that is hard to swallow, but it doesn't need to be a cold, hard truth. Sometimes a truth that is hard to swallow is cold and hard because it basically says, this is how it is, take it, leave it, like it or not. And most of the time in those situations, it's the or not. But when that truth is embodied in Jesus, it is not hard and cold, it is warm and beautiful and it invites us in. Because what is on offer in the future, the change of destination, is not that just we get to walk in the light now, but that we get to be ones who eternally are in the light with him. That's the hope that we hold. That's the hope, hope that we have. It challenges us if, and asks the question, will we surrender and let go? And I love the picture of light and darkness because Jesus is pretty consistent with us anytime he teaches on truth. He always will talk about walking in truth means that truth will bring light. And when he talks about darkness, it is the lack of truth that is at play. In, it's only in Jesus that we can walk in the truth, that we can know the truth, that we can live in light of the truth. Because that light of the truth that Jesus brings doesn't just give us a new direction where our destination is set in him in eternity for glory. It even as a light will locate us. Those who are in darkness are in such trouble because it's not just a problem that they don't know where to go. The problem is they don't even know where they are currently. Jesus' light is so good at revealing where we are, giving us a location, not just a destination. And it's amazing, when we, when we live in that light and we walk in that light, 
The beauty is we're called in to live out our purpose for him in his kingdom, which means that actually where there is so much darkness in our world, darkness around us, darkness in people's lives, it means that when we can go and enter into a situation, we get to be light bearers who bring that light into that circumstance. So the person who is lost in the dark, not knowing even where they are, by our presence and the light coming into a situation, we can even have a hard moment where it might be a truth that is hurtful to them, but it's the moment where they get a reality check for what's going on. And it is the thing that's going to reveal the difficult way out. But the way out changes the destination to where we're now not walking a road of destruction. We're actually walking a road to life and life to the full. We're going to get ourselves ready to have communion. So why don't you stand with me? Last week we heard the truth shall set you free. This week we understand that for that truth to set us free, it means we have to walk out the moment where it might be uncomfortable, the moment where the truth might hurt. But the beauty is that Jesus has revealed himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we come to a moment like communion, it is beautifully simultaneously helping us look back on the truth of who Jesus is, but it is also helping locate us again in the now, at the, st- at the state of our heart where we are. It's why we're so encouraged that we're to do a heart check in the midst of a communion moment. It's why it says, hey, if you have an offense against someone, go sort that out first, then take communion. So why it says, hey, if, if, if you've been offended by someone or you've caused an offense, go and sort that out before you take communion because it's a heart check moment saying, hey, as we look back at the heart of Jesus who brought salvation to us, who died on our behalf, who made a way that we were dead in sin but now can be alive in Him. In light of that, where, do I, where does our heart match up? Where are there things that need to actually die, be surrendered so that we can follow Him? We're going to go grab our elements now. And as we do, I hope you're going to do some business with God. Where you ask this question, hey God, is there a seed in my hand that needs to die? Is there something of myself that I am holding on to, thinking it's going to give me freedom, but actually it's holding me captive? Before we take communion, which is a moment for those who have put their faith in Jesus to remember Him, maybe it's just a moment in your heart to let that thing die to surrender it and sacrifice because it's only in that moment that we really can grab a hold of the life and the glory that Jesus has for us because it's all about Him. It points our attention back to Him. It was Him in the past, it's Him in the future. Go grab those elements. We'll take it together and then we'll get ready to worship.